that if he had uh, one hour with somebody you know, to share the gospel, he would spend the first 50 minutes, I think it was, talking about sin, and then the last 10 minutes talking about where, where that leads to, that hope. And so that may you know, seem like a lot to be focused on that one particular aspect of it, but the reality of it is um, many people today, because we tend to downplay sin, they don't really see why it's so wonderful to be saved. They don't really see you know, the magnificence of, of God's grace because we just kind of skim over this topic of sin. Uh, so there's a, you know, in times past, there was a book that said, it's, I think it was even written by a non-Christian. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but it talks about whatever happened to sin. You know, it talks about the, dis- the disappearance of sin, even from the vocabulary of, of culture today, right? So, I mean, you just go through culture at large and that category has been completely erased. There is no more um, topic. There is no more category for sin. It's been referred to as, as other things there. But theologically, um, we know that uh, this doctrine of sin is a very critical doctrine because it's what has to be in place in order for us to understand God's work in our lives. So that's what we'll be talking about today. And once again, you know, the notes from last week are there on the little table there. Um, I'm adding some things to it. Uh, so again, if you want what I've added to it, just send me an email so I remember, and I'll be glad to send you everything I filled in, so you don't feel up to, like, don't feel like you have to write it all in. Uh, but it does raise the question, you know, what is sin when we're talking about that? I'm sure all of you have heard that word before. How would you maybe explain that word or sum it up just kind of in everyday language? If, you know, your neighbor or your grandchild or your child or whoever it was was asking you, you know, what is sin? How would you explain that in like common everyday language to them? So Levi, we're asking the question, you know, what is sin? How would you explain it to somebody in just common everyday language if someone were to ask you? So not, you know, this technical language, but just kind of a, a easier to understand way. Can I explain it without God or do I have to explain it with God? Can you can explain, explain it any way you want. <laughs> uh, well, how to explain it, I explain it with like, it's the idea of going against God's laws and... Uh, breaking your covenant with him and how you're supposed to be living. Uh, if there had to be put on out, God is doing something that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Great. Yeah, that's very good. Uh-huh. I like I like those elements that you had in there, you know, breaking God's laws and this idea of a standard. That's good. Anybody have any uh, other thoughts that you either add to that or your own maybe explanation? What we teach the kids in Iwana is what pops in my head. Anything you think or say or do, that disobeys God. Good. Uh-huh. That's good. Yep. So very simple, and but very uh, accurate, too. Yeah. So there in your notes, you have that definition of sin. It's, it's any failure to conform to the moral law of God. And um, no, actually, I put that in the notes. No, it's in the notes. Sorry. Um, sin is... Uh, 
here defined in relation to God and His moral law. Uh, sin not only includes individual acts such as stealing or lying or committing murder, but also attitudes that are contrary to the attitudes God requires of us. So that's one of the elements that probably gets overlooked a lot when we talk about sin. Um, a lot of people think of it just in terms of actions, uh, whereas, the, whereas God uh, looks at it too in terms of an attitude or a nature. So that's all got to be part of our understanding of what sin is. Um, so we could also add that sin is a denial of the Creator and its created order. That's really what you're getting at, Levi, and just um, th those elements right there. So you're denying God um, and the way that he has ordered things. There's three persons who are offended in every sin, uh, or at least um, if, you know, there's at least two persons included in every sin, and in many cases three. Who would those be? So every time you sin, you know, you'd be sinning at, at least against two persons, if not three. Who would those be? God the Father, mm -hmm. the Son, and third one is the Holy Spirit. So there's many passages that talk about that, that sin is against God. Um, if somebody has, uh, could look up Psalm 51, verse 4, please, and just read that for us. So this is in the context of David's psalm of repentance there. Uh, and, and this is a very significant what David says in verse 4 in Psalm 51. Because keep in mind, you know, David's sin has been uh, against others. But who does David, what does he say in verse 4? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Uh-huh. So kind of thinking about that, why does David say, against you and you only have I sinned against? I mean, he's, the context here is vertical. He's talking to God. But you think about that, David has sinned against at least two other people, if not uh, a lot more. Who, who else has David sinned against? Besides, besides um, well, yeah, who else has David sinned against besides God? Uriah, Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So why does he say against you and you only have I sinned? Did he like forget about those other people or not care about them? This is his conversation with God. Mm -hmm. And in spite of the fact that he has sinned against others, the, the, in the confession, he's recognizing that sin starts with disobeying God. Yeah. Yep. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So David is not ignore like David's pre not pretending he didn't sin against anybody else, but just like Brent said, he first and foremost it's against God. So God is often the missing person um, when it comes to you know as we confess our sin or even as we think about it that we often leave out. So there's a number of of biblical passages that talk about that that are sin being against God, like Genesis thirty nine nine for example, um, and just a, just a number of those passages. We, we could also say, and, and by God, just like Brent pointed out, against the triune God. Uh, another, also against other human beings, right? So our sin um, is often against uh, other people. They're either directly impacted or indirectly impacted by it. 
So a place like Luke um, 15, 18 would mention that. And then against ourselves. So could somebody read uh, Proverbs 6.32 for us, please? Proverbs Yeah, good. So there's an example of that particular sin being against yourself as well. So sin ends up um, going against against our own self. So however we, you know, as we think about sin and come to these understanding of it, we keep in mind those three different uh, persons involved in it. So if we had time, it would be really fascinating to look at, you know, the Old Testament terminology for sin and then the New Testament terminology for sin. In English, we really have just several words that we often use when we talk about sin. Obviously, we use sin. But what are some other English words that we use without using that word that, that we're referring to the same thing? So obviously there's sin, but what other English words do we have? Immoral deeds. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fail. Fail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A failure. Yep. Transgressions and trespasses. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. My children would say mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very good. And one, one more, and I don't, I don't think that, you know, we typically, it would be very rare to hear this in a conversation, but, you know, biblically, like if you're reading, you'd say iniquities, right? But that's pretty, you're not going to have that come out in a normal conversation. My iniquities today, very rare. But um, there's many uh, Hebrew words um, and then some Greek words that, as we think about sin, bring out like different dimensions of it. So if we if we you know think about sin as a like a like a pie right here There's there's many words that hit at you know different parts of it um, and just just because we don't have like infinite amount of time you know I'm, I'm not able to, to do that but if I could summarize that uh, what we would see would be this, you know, there's there's more ideas that would that would come out. Um, missing the mark. So in the New Testament, especially that word for sin carries that idea of missing the mark. So it's like you're aiming an arrow at a, at a, a bullseye on a target and you miss it. You miss the bullseye. It's like so you, any failure to perfectly satisfy God's requirements would be sin. So that's that's sort of broad, but it's helpful to, to think about it like that. Uh, but other words, especially in the Old Testament, some would carry the idea of rebellion. So in other words, sin is more than just a little slip up, a little mistake. It's this rebellion. Um, we're rebelling against God and his created order. So R.C. Sproul is one of his famous lines is he calls it cosmic treason. 
And I like I like that idea. Uh, it carries, you know, some of these words carry the idea of perversion. So we're perverting the created order. Um, other words carry the idea of foolishness. So just a lot of different nuances that are super helpful as we think about, you know, our whole understanding of sin. But I think you kind of see the picture right there, um, that sin is uh, nothing good. Um, it's uh, against God. It's this rebellion against Him. It's this breaking of, the, breaking of His law. Um, going back to what Tyson talked about last week in Adam and Eve, um, some theologians have pointed out how Adam and Eve broke all Ten Commandments in their sin. And I found that to be pretty insightful. So if you have your Bibles, uh, just take a look at um, Exodus 20. It's where we see the Ten Commandments there. And kind of keep this in mind, that let's think back to Adam and Eve's sin. Um, and I think this is helpful because we can get a little simplistic when it comes to sin. And, you know, you think of Adam and Eve and what was their sin? Okay, they ate the fruit that they shouldn't. What, what were some of the other elements of Adam and Eve's sin that you remember? What else did they, how else did they um, go against God or each other or even themselves? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. So they broke the, that would have been uh, there, the, um, eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. So that's exactly right. All right. They broke that commandment. What else? Coveting, yep. Yep, exactly. Yep, that's that's exactly right. So um, that would be the tenth commandment. Adam was discontent with his own estate and the blessings that God has given him. He coveted what did not belong to him, so he broke the tenth commandment there. What other commandments did they break? Testimony when Eve didn't exactly quote requote God what he actually said. Yeah, very, very insightful. Yep, you're exactly right. So Adam did not uh, counter the devil's lies even, and he did not respond with the truth. So in essence, he lied. He broke the ninth commandment. Good. So go back up to commandment number one there, and let's talk. Let's look, let's just run through them here. So in the first commandment, um, you know, the first four are really viewed as our relationship with God. The, the other six are in, are in relationship with others. Um, so number one, his pride and unbelief revealed his self-loving, self-seeking, uh, and self-serving heart. So we broke the first commandment there about um, not having any other gods. 
uh, or in, yeah, about not having any other gods there. Um, secondly, he broke God's laws on proper worship. He ate from the forbidden tree, and he tolerated false worship in God's garden temple. So he broke the second commandment. So there, um, God had talked about not making any, you know, likenesses or images right there. Um, this, this is the idea of false worship right there. Adam tolerated that in the garden. Uh, then he was not to take the name of the Lord, his God, in vain. And so Adam broke that um, by failing to bring honor to his father's name. He failed to obey God's words to him. Thus, he dismissed God's name and really broke the third commandment there. You may be thinking, how did he break the fourth commandment, um, the Sabbath day? Well, he broke that by threatening his own participation in the eternal Sabbath rest by seeking that outside of God. And as we'll talk about here in a minute, he even threatened our participation in that eternal Sabbath. So his descendants were impacted by that as well. So this eternal Sabbath rest is, is more than, we're talking about more than a day. God is calling his people to enjoy him and, and have this rest and Adam, by not obeying God, really threatened uh, he, he was going to be cut off from that. And apart from God's grace, he would have been, and so would have we. Uh, the fifth commandment then, honor your father and mother. So Adam failed to honor his father, the Lord. He thus forfeited long days. So God had originally designed that Adam and Eve would live forever, eating from the tree of life. But that did not happen because he broke the fifth commandment there. Um, then we have uh, you shall not murder so Adam brought death to his descendants by breaking the sixth commandment so because of Adam's sin those coming from him died then you have do not commit adultery Adam broke that by failing to love and protect his wife with a godly jealousy he allowed her to be entertained by the devil, so he broke that commandment. We've talked about um, stealing, breaking the Eighth Commandment, lying, breaking the Ninth Commandment, and discontentment, breaking the Tenth Commandment. So you see right there, you know, there's even from something like that, which on the surface can look like the guy just uh, ate some fruit he wasn't supposed to eat, we really see that a lot of laws were broken in that. He sinned in a variety of ways against God. And so that's my hope that as you think through this doctrine of sin, it opens your eyes, opens all of our eyes to see, you know, the many ways in which we disobey the Lord and sin against Him, even, even on the surface if it just looks pretty simple. So there in your notes it says, Many theologians wonder if there's one basic principle of sin, like one factor that would characterize sin in, in everything. So, in other words, it's like, is there one way that you can just sum up what we're talking about when it comes to sin? Like one category that you could use. And so some people have suggested uh, sensuality. So they think of sin as sensuality, meaning... Um, it's this idea that our, our bodily senses are involved in all of this. 
But I think you could quickly agree that that doesn't sum up everything, right? There's things inside of you, desires uh, like bitterness or pride that they can't go back to some kind of bodily urges right there. Now, it can help explain like drunkenness or sexual immorality, but it can't accurately account for like sins in our mind. Yeah. That's yeah, that's another category that some have suggested. Uh-huh. And that would fall under the category of like selfishness. Um, so it would be uh, they would view sin as like sin is is basically selfishness. It's it's all made up of loving ourselves rather than God. So our, our sin would dethrone God, it would it would put ourselves on the throne of life. And so I think that there's Again, there's a lot that we can um, commend for that view because it's very true. Sin is definitely selfishness. But not every sin can always be placed within that category of selfishness. Um, some people can sin against God because they love someone else more than they love God. People can even be very selfless. They, they can give their lives to a cause that opposes God. So it's a little too narrow to just say that sin is sin, all sin is selfishness because if we think through it somebody can be very selfless but still be sinning so that category is helpful but it doesn't adequately uh, encompass the whole picture of what sin is now the the third category um, displacement of God um, I like that category it's it's the dethroning of God it's placing something else, anything else, in the supreme place of God. Um, choosing, choosing yourself uh, over God. So I think, I think that category is, is very helpful. Um, and, and ultimately, that's what all sin does. It's to dethrone God. But if we're thinking about a definition of sin, and this is not in your notes, but it's, it's got to include these three categories um, in, in Latin, I'll just give you the Latin, and then we'll talk about it you know, in English, because I don't think you care about the Latin, but uh, act. So when we think about our definition of sin or an understanding of sin, you know, category number one is actions. Now, that's not the Latin, of course. It's actus, but that's really irrelevant. So when we think about sin, we're, we're talking about you know, personal, concrete acts that violate God's law. So any definition, of, any definition of sin has to include our actions in that. But beyond that, um, it has to include a state, like a state of being, our nature. So why do we sin? What would you say to that? Why do we sin? I know there's can, there can be some long answers, but you can make it very short. So let's stay to the short side. Why do we sin? It's our nature. There you go. Good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. 
And so there's a saying that says, um, we aren't sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we are sinners. So that kind of sounds like a little bit of mumbo jumbo, but what it's saying is the reason why we sin is because we are sinners. It's not the sinning that makes us a sinner, as if we were born into this world like perfectly neutral, you know, this pure, innocent little creature there. And then somewhere along the line, you know, we do something bad and it's like, okay, at that moment we become a sinner. No, we're, we're born, and so we naturally are inclined to sinning. So any definition of sin has to include this in there as well. And then third, um, a, uh, a state or a status. So sin is a violation of a legal standard. So, so when we sin, we violate um, God's standards. Sin brings the wrath of God upon us. So we're in a state of condemnation, of course, apart from Christ. So we'll begin... Uh, really kind of working through some of these um, here now. Now, in your notes, um, you have that topic, inherited sin. So as we think about these three, we're going to tie this in then to this idea of inherited sin, or what's probably more familiar with you would be original sin. Has anybody ever heard that terminology before, original sin? Yeah. And do you know what that means or that's referring to? Uh, basically, we're sinful because of the first sin that Adam and Eve uh, created, and because of that we're all basically made sinful by nature by that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yep, it's the, it's the sinful state and condition that every human being is born in because of their relationship to Adam. So it's a little bit different. It's distinguished from what we call actual sin, which, which are the things that we do every day. So, so you have actual sins, like you, you think wrong things, you, you say wrong things, you do wrong things. Those are actual sins. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about this idea of inherited sin or original sin. Th that's, this is the conversation we're going back to to explain why is it that we have this sinful nature, right? Because that's, that's what the question we're asking ourselves. Why do I have a sinful nature? So we got to come up with an answer for that, right? So, so we're not talking at this point about the actual sins that you do. We're talking about how we all got in this condition that we find ourselves in. Now, to be clear, um, original sin, what we, what we mean by that is we're not referring to Adam's first sin. Rather, we're referring to the sin that's a result of ours because of Adam's fall. Okay, does that make sense? So when we say original sin, we're not talking about Adam eating the fruit or... We are. But we're, but we're not... But when we use that word original sin, we're looking at something bigger than just what Adam did by taking the fruit he wasn't supposed to. 
so original sin or inherited sin, um, it's not original because of how God made Adam and Eve. That's not what we're talking about either. So God didn't create Adam and Eve sinful. They fell, but God didn't make, He didn't create them sinful. Instead, what we're talking about is Adam's sin, how that gets, we use this fancy word called imputed or put on our record. That's what we're talking about, okay? So original sin is talking about how Adam's sin got put on our record. So it's the condition in which we are born. We're born with a corrupt condition or a corrupt nature. And we have this propensity, this predisposition toward um, moral and spiritual evil. And if you don't believe me, you know, just look at children, right? Because children, what do they do? You don't have to teach them to be bad. They do just fine at learning how to do that. <laughs> we have to correct them and train them to be good. You know, if they were in this room right now, uh, if they're crawling around, I uh, guarantee you put them in here just a few minutes and they go to the outlet right there, right? And they want to stick their finger in it. And you look at them, no, no. And they just give you that look like, I'm going to do it anyway, watch me. And they try to stick their finger in it, right? So they're, they're vipers and diapers is what we like to say. Um, so that's the condition that, that we're all born in. So the, the Bible presents all people as being alienated from God, um, depraved in their understanding, their hearts, their conscience, their will, their body, and their actions. And there's lots of scriptural passages that point that out. We will talk, we will have our own conversation about that, what we mean about depravity. Um, I don't know if we'll get to it this week, but maybe next week. So original sin uh, comes from Adam and we have it at the very beginning of our existence as people, but it's still our sin. Now, I know that this is kind of complicated, right? This sounds unfair and it sounds hard to understand. How did Adam sin? How did that become my sin? Why is it, why is it fair? I mean, it doesn't seem fair that what Adam did now affects me you right here today in this room. So that's what we want to look through um, through Scripture here. So this original sin includes guilt. That's right here. There's guilt here. We're guilty. And by the way, um, guilt is not just a feeling. Actually, technically, guilt isn't a feeling at all. You know, we talk about that all the time. I feel guilty. Guilt's not a feeling. Guilt is something objective. You're guilty if you break the law, whether you feel it or not. If I'm driving 70 on DMACC Road out here, I'm guilty whether I'm bothered by that or not. Okay, so we, in English, you know, in our culture, we use guilt. It's really, we don't use shame, but we talk about feeling guilty. But the way the Bible talks about guilt, it's just objective. You're, you're either guilty or you're not guilty. Um, so, with when our sin, we are guilty. So we've um, it, it's a legal concept. It describes our relationship to the judge and the law. And guilt is the state. So going back to the state again, of deserving condemnation. 
So when we say that original sin includes guilt, it doesn't mean that each one of us is considered personally responsible for what Adam did. Okay, so, so just think about that for a minute. So, so when I'm talking about Adam's sin, this original sin, what we're not saying is that you are personally responsible for what Adam did. Okay? You didn't exist. <laughs> you know? You're not personally responsible for being... You weren't in the garden that day. You didn't see the tempter coming. You know? You're not personally responsible for what he did. But it does mean that you're involved in the guilt of Adam's sin. Okay? So... In this legal state, you all, and, and myself included, are involved in that. Even though we're not personally responsible for what Adam did, it's kind of like a, a lawsuit, if you think about it like that. We're included in the lawsuit, even though we personally were not there on that day doing those actions. Why, though, right? It keeps asking the question, why am I personally included in this when I wasn't there? Does anybody have... An answer to that? That's okay. So I get it. We'll talk about the fairness aspect of it here. We'll talk about some other theories that people have put forth to try to uh, kind of get out of this argument. But what I believe the Bible teaches is that we are included in the guilt of Adam because he acted as our representative. When Adam disobeyed the command, Adam represented all of humanity. He was our head. And so in that sense, we are all included in the, the guilt of Adam's sin. So you, you think about, you know, in some senses, um, it does kind of make sense, right? You think about uh, the actions of a company, for example. And, and the actions of a company include a lot of different components with that. So people are affected by that that may not have personally made those choices or done those things. So even, even in our culture, we can, we can understand at least that concept that we can be included in something even if we weren't the ones that personally acted. So as our representative... So Adam, um, Adam represented all members of the human race there in the garden. He was tested in the time of the garden. So Adam sinned, and therefore God counted us guilty, just as he did Adam. So, so again, think of it as um, this, this idea of imputation. It belongs to someone else, but it's put on the record uh, of you know, it's put on the record. So maybe someone else did it, but it's, um, but it's put on that record. So put on the record of, of us then. So that's, that's what happened here with this sin. So even though Adam was the one who, was, who acted, it was put on our record. Now, again, see, you may be thinking at this point, that's not fair. I don't like that idea that I was included in Adam's guilt, but I wasn't even there. So I'm going to respond to that later, but I'll throw this out for your consideration. You don't like that part of it, but what about the opposite of that? There's a righteousness that we talk about in Jesus that was put on our record. Is that fair? Can you have one 
without the other. We'll hold on, hold on your thoughts to that. We'll talk about that a little later. So original sin um, means that we're guilty. Like legally, we are, we are guilty. It's also this idea of pollution. So that would fit in right here, okay, polluted. Um, so our nature was corrupted because of what Adam did, because Adam was our federal head, we are born in a state of corruption or pollution. So our nature, as we've talked about, includes this disposition to sin, even from birth. Again, children don't have to be taught how to do wrong. They discover that easy. And corruption, this from the original sin, it extends to every part of our human nature. So in other words, it's not as if only our actions were affected by it. You know, and our minds are, are perfect and we never have a bad thought or a bad tendency in our minds. It's just only our bodies are doing something. That's not how it works. Even our minds are affected by it. Our thoughts, you know, every part of us has been affected. So on our own, we can do uh, no spiritual good or be good in terms of a relationship with God. And there's not present in human beings by nature uh, this, this um, concept of loving God, you know, to love God is the motivating principle of our lives. That's not naturally born into any of us to just want to love God and serve him. That has to be a work of God to, to change that. But as you've listened to this so far, um, next we're going to talk about like ideas, like why are we responsible for Adam's sin? How was Adam's sin transmitted to us? We'll talk about some different views, but I want to stop here for a second and just see if there's any questions so far. Questions or comments? Thought, and I'm not sure if I'm on the right track. Okay. I'm looking at Genesis 3:22. Um, then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil." Is that is that the shift? Is that what was polluted? Now man knows good and evil, and therefore we're guilty because of that knowledge. That's a yeah. That's a good question. So, um, I mean, the irony was. People were like God in, in just a lot of ways. And Satan lied, you know, and deceived them. But now, because of that sin, uh, there was the guilt and the shame that were now um, in, their, in their lives that they didn't have previous to that. So by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, it wasn't as if Adam and Eve were lacking something that they needed to have in order to please God. But by eating of that tree, it, it brought this awareness um, just in, in some, the, that sin brought this awareness to them that they didn't have previously. So I think going back to your question, um, what was the question again? Um, is that awareness, that knowledge of good and evil, that they have, do we have that now too? And that's what makes us guilty. Correct. Yeah. So that, yeah, as part, as part of the uh, guilt and the shame, yeah, that includes that. So it's like, you know, you think about it, um, Adam and Eve were naked. 
before the before the the fall there, and there was no shame in that. So I mean, God, we didn't need clothes. You know, the 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 earth was a He designed it as a perfect environment, and so that's we don't wear those because, you know, because of obviously now you know there's different seasons. Like I get that, but in the in the perfect environment, those were not like needed, and so we wear those because you know to cover ourselves. So that was one thing. That was one result of the fall was um, our their eyes were open to to have that in areas that they didn't. You know that God didn't originally design, um, but now because of the fall, there was a shame and uh, associated with that. I'll try to uh, give you a better answer for that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say in the De- Deuteronomy laws. I can't remember which chapter it was. They talk about uh, children not being guilty for their parents' sins. Would you consider that law from God contradictory with uh, original sin in some ways too? Because it doesn't make sense for God to say you're not guilty for your parents' sin, but you're guilty for your great your, uh, grandfather's Adam's sin. Mm-hmm. Like, we say that's in contradiction anyway. Or no? That's a great question too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we definitely want to talk about that one. So, good, good point on that. Uh, I will um, move that down here, just down the line, just a second. But good thoughts. I like that. So, how did this idea of original sin? Like, does everybody believe that? You know, how did it get developed? So, there are some different views. Um, in the 400 ADs, there was a man by the name of Plagius. He was a British monk. Uh, we don't know very much about his life. Um, he was living at the about around the time of Augustine, um, and so. Plagius uh, came to Rome, and he was just really concerned that Christians seemed to be very lax in morality. He he thought that they, uh, you know, just were living very immoral lives. And he said, "Well, the problem was Augustine." So Augustine is one of the early church fathers. He was a, a great theologian. Um, his book uh, Confessions is a really interesting book if you've never read that before. It talks about he was involved in this like very strange cult. And he came out of it. And, you know, part of his experience with sin is he talks about he liked to steal. He just, and he stole for no reason. You know, he just like, I like to steal oranges, I think it was. And he's like, I didn't have a reason for it. I didn't need them, but I just wanted to, right? So Augustine um, has been a very, you know, influential in the life of the church. Um, but Pelagius thought that, you know, and Augustine was big on grace, Um Augustine was the first theologian who really kind of put together this doctrine of original sin. But when Pelagius heard that, he said, no, you know, this grace, um, this idea that people are, people have this spiritual inability. He's like, that's just leading to them leaving very immoral lives. And so his theory was that, that um, we don't need God's grace. Like, we can obey God on our own. It's grace is like a, a little boost. You know, it's like kind of the caffeine in the morning. Like, it helps you. It's, it's not required. You can still come to faith in Christ. You can still know God. Uh, and grace, you know, it's kind of helps, the, helps, but it's not necessary. And his views were condemned as heresy. So you maybe have heard the term Pelagianism. 
Um, that's where that comes from. Uh, it's this idea that you know we're born um, able to please God and able to come to faith on our own. So his his view has been rejected by the church. Um, then you get you know Augustine was again one of the first people that really developed this doctrine of original sin, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Then you have the reformers. Um, so the reformers continued to, to work it out. So eventually, a man named uh, Theodore Benza came along that really unpacked this idea of federal theology. And, and that's the view that Adam is the head, this federal head of all of humanity. He, he's this representative head. And so uh, Benza um, really helped unpack that understanding of it. So w- within that, you know, a couple ideas came out that Adam serves as a, a natural head of the human race. You know, all descendants can be traced back to Adam. You know, ultimately all our family lines go back to there. And then secondly, Adam serves as a federal or representative head of the human race. So those were the things that um, began to get, you know, developed and unpacked um, throughout church history. Uh, And then another view, um, a man by the name of um, James Arminius was a Dutch pastor, and he wanted to really modify some of the Reformed teaching to preserve free will and to justify the universal offer of salvation. And so um, Arminius taught that Adam's sin, this you know original sin, uh, it involves corruption, but not an imputation of guilt. So again, this this section is not in your notes. Um, if you want it, just let me know. Uh, so what Arminius taught is that because we are corrupt, we begin life without the benefit of original righteousness. So all human beings are unable, without, without some kind of divine enabling grace, and they call that provenient grace. Anybody ever heard that? Provenient grace? To fulfill God's commands. So you think about Pelagius, right? We talked about him, and, and he, he taught that grace is really just this afterburner, in essence. You don't need it, but it's helpful, um, and so that was rejected, obviously. But Pelagia, uh, or Arminius came, and, and it's, it's modified a little bit. Um, he talks about grace, but he, they talk about a provenient grace. So it's like this universal grace that allows people to respond. Um, so uh, Arminius and, and you know some Arminians would, um, as they talk about this idea of original sin... Uh, they would say that we only become guilty at the moment of our first sin. So whatever you know, culpability and condemnation may have accrued to us through Adam's sin, um, that was removed because of provenient grace. And it can almost be said that they would view God as almost under obligation to provide a cure for this natural inability so, they, so when it comes to original sin, they would say that Adam's sin is not imputed. It's not put on the record of his descendants 
but the pollution is. So does that, that kind of make sense? So the guilt is not put on our record, but this idea of the corruption is, which explains why we need God's grace. So that's, again, my, I'm kind of giving you a lay of the land right here, just explaining some different views on original sin and, and how others view it. But obviously the main uh, question for us is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? So back to your notes right there. It says scriptural teaching, scriptural teaching. So uh, Romans chapter 5 is really critical in this whole discussion here. Um, and we're almost out of time, so we don't have, you know, we won't be able to, to read it today. Um, but we can begin to introduce it. So what I would encourage you to do is for next week to go back and read Romans 5, and particularly um, verses... I mean, the whole, the whole chapter is critical, but particularly verses 12 through 21. So in that section there, you know, it's this contrast between Adam and Christ. And, and that's where, you know, as we wrestle with original sin um, and, and seek to understand it, this is a critical passage in that. So I would uh, encourage you to read that for next time. Um, but just for today, you know, a few verses in particular stick out, again, in your notes right there. So verse 12 Therefore, just as, though one, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So notice some, notice some things right even in that verse right there. You have one man, and then you have, you know, at this point we're not talking about the how, but we're talking about the spread to all men. Okay, and then verse 19, again, you get this idea, you know, this, you see this contrast between the one and the many. For as through the one man's disobedience, so that would be referring back to Adam. Okay, this one man, um, that's referring back to Adam right there. The many were made sinners. Okay, so that's a question we're wrestling with. How, how is it, you know, what does this mean that the many were made sinners? Just even through the obedience of the one, that would be referring to who? Jesus. Yes. The many will be made righteous. So the idea of the passage is that uh, God thought of us as sinning when Adam disobeyed. Though we did not exist, God saw into the future and began to think of us as guilty with Adam. So there's two major theories that explain how Adam's sin was imputed to us. And the, you know, there's two explanations right there. Uh, the first is federal headship. And then uh, the second is, there's some different names for this. Um, some, some call it like a biological, um, they, they call it a biological union, um, a seminal headship, uh, realism. So there's a few different names right there, but we'll just call it seminal headship. So those are the two main theories of how uh, Adam's sin um, became imputed to us. So with the time we have right here, let's start into uh, federal headship. But let me just see if there's any questions so far. Okay, none so far. Okay. 
So let's think about federal headship. It's this idea that Adam is head of the human race. He, he represents the human race right there. So if you look at, if we read verse 12, which says, Therefore, just as sin came into all the world, came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So, so if you read that uh, through or in light of verses 18 and 19, therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Um, then then w when it's talking about the all sin there, that's given a corporate meaning. So when you see that, that language of all sinned, all sinned, that's, that's a corporate meaning. Okay, so sinning is not um, these voluntary acts of like what you're doing yourself. It's this idea that we're in some way included with Adam. We're all in this together. So federal headship does not, does not deny um, the seminal headship belief that Adam is biologically uh, head of the human race. It's not denying that. It's agreeing with that. But what it's saying is there's more that's necessary. So on its own, this idea that Adam is just the biological head of the human race is not sufficient to explain why his sin becomes our sin. And the idea is that um, the fed, like he, he needs to be viewed as the federal head. Now, again, uh, we, next time... Uh, it's going to be helpful if you read Romans 5, verses 12 to 21. The copier should be working then. So we can uh, unpack a little bit more of this. Um, and I think it'll be helpful to, to look at the you know, Scripture and have some things on paper right here. But uh, next, next week we'll talk about those two views right there, you know, the federal headship and the seminal headship. And then um, we'll get into those you know, objections and answers, like the, it doesn't seem fair um, and how we respond to that. And then uh, we'll jump back into total depravity there, all on your notes there, um, degrees of sin. Uh, and we'll finish up the doctrine of sin then. So bring back, uh, as you think about this, you know, your qu any questions that you have, maybe formulating in your minds about original sin, um, bring those back and we'll talk about that next time. So, thank you.